mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And we're here to tell their stories. Here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. And thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Paso. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekend. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. My guest today is a native of El Paso, Texas, and a proud alumnus of Texas Western University. He's a father, a husband, a grandfather, a retired attorney in the field of consumer advocacy in the field of telecommunications. And most importantly to our show today, he became a successful playwright in his 60s. Uh, from Ryan Leeds of the Manhattan Digest, the idea of waltzing into death hardly seems like the type of uplifting theatrical fare. For the Simon family, it was more akin to a living nightmare. Yet under the direction of director Kate Holland and Samuel's poetic style, the actual dance becomes a life-affirming ode to commitment and boundless love. And from Sam Simon's own blog, he says, Theater changed my life. It enabled me to find purpose and to be a prophet to the world for the message that every human being must face their mortality and that of those they love. It happens not on our count or our timeline. Rather, one we do not control. One can believe it to be divine or perhaps natural or random or inevitable. In all cases, though, we as human beings need to find the courage and strength for the journey, either our own death or that of someone we love. Over the next 45 minutes or so, we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But for now, let me introduce Sam Simon. Sam, welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for that very generous um, introduction. Um, I um, thank you. Actually, I hadn't heard it put quite that way. And, uh, I am on an incredible journey, and I'm um, impressed with this idea that you brought forward to <clears throat> give a, a little bit of voice to people who I think maybe discover their real purpose late in life, not meaning that anything we've done beforehand was wrong, but that there is something else we have to do and have the privilege of discovering it. Well, I'll tell you something. I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler here. I don't think I've ever had to to concentrate so hard and kind of hold it together as much as I did reading that little intro because, um, you know, another little spoiler here. Uh, I don't just know you casually, Sam. You're, 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 uh, I've known you my whole life, and, and you and the other people we're going to discuss uh, uh, that, that are mentioned in your, in your, in your play, the, the actual dance not too long ago. Maybe I shouldn't have done it with a couple of cocktails in my system because I'll be damned if you can't make a grown man cry. And um, I, I found myself kind of forcing my way through this little introduction here because uh, I, I definitely felt something. But uh, I think that's just a testament to uh, not not just uh, not just obviously what you and Susan mean to me and to my family. Well, what was interesting about it is I did not understand what was happening at the time it was happening, and the question comes up. 
to me periodically of how did I find, I call it my fourth age, just for the record. <laughs> I worked uh, in Washington, D.C., beginning 51 years ago, 51 years ago this July, starting as one of the first lawyers ever to work for Ralph Nader. And I uh, had you know, a robust career, and I eventually founded a public affairs firm. Um, my son, uh, who, you know, called me for a, at one time a, a minor celebrity because I did get to be on Face the Nation and Oprah Winfrey and, and doing what I thought were important things, making important changes in the world and, you know, sort of the advocacy world. That was what I would say my second age. You know, we grow up and then we have a job, and that was sort of my second age of my career. Then people refer to what you do in your retirement, uh, immediate retirement, as your third age. Um, and after I sold this company that I founded, I started actually working for another nonprofit in uh, New York City. But I also started had been starting to do theater. Um, and there's a piece about theater that was helpful to me. It's called improv. Improv is actually a life, uh, uh, a life skill. If we learn about it well, deeply enough, we improvise our whole life. We're reacting to other people and events, and we we interact in the world. Improv teaches us that we can accept everything that happens, acknowledge everything that's happening, and add new information and change the story, so to speak, as needed. And I ended up doing that as a personal development tool. In the part of the era where I was creating my own company, I was doing improv and it was improving my ability to interact with my employees, to be effective with my customers, and improv continues to be as if it was teaching me something, not a new world for me. But there's a technique in, uh, in what I was doing where they asked me to improvise a story and um, write it down and perform it. And I started, without thinking about it, talking about this event that happened in the year 2000. And it so engaged the people that were hearing it that they wanted more and more, and they drew it out of me. So I come to say that this found me. I didn't find it. And people ask me this question, how did you do it? How did, you know, I'm about to retire. How can I decide? And... Part of my answer is to be open enough to let that your purpose, this other life for you, exist. It's in you. It needs to find you. And we have to, in sort of this improv idea of being open and accepting information and reacting to it or and accepting it and adding to it, that we can find this other part of our life. For me, um, and I'm 
you know, and let me tell the story, if it's all right, briefly of what happened in real life. The, the event, I was still working. I had a public affairs firm that I had created and started. It was just me in a little office, and I am, and let's say, had 50 employees, and we were being very successful. But then my wife, Susan, um, got sick. She contracted uh, breast cancer, and over the next year, the prognosis became grim. That they, first of all, just it's a bit of a spoiler, but you know, there was a diagnosis. They, there was they expected what in a biopsy for it to be old scar tissue. It wasn't old scar tissue. It was breast cancer. It didn't. They didn't know the extent of it. They thought it was going to be minor. Then they uh, did a, a double mastectomy, and they found out that it uh, had there were no margins on it, it uh, and that it could be very extensive. But then they thought, well, it wasn't in her nodes, and then the biopsy or the post surgery uh, evaluation found the. Uh, Cancer was in her uh, nodes. They had made a mistake. And then there was even another step where they found what they thought was yet a post-mastectomy lump. And everybody was going dark, except my wife, except Susan, who was determined. And I want to say that some people, some people, a lot of people die no matter what they do, but she was very determined to survive and worked hard and with a lot of luck, did survive. But what I had to do during that time was to be a strength for her and our your other cousins, my children, and to be there for her. And this story is how do you do that? And um, Sam, can I? The can amazing. I, thing, go ahead. I just want to stop you right there. You're, you're, you're actually doing a fantastic job of, of anticipating all of my questions because, uh, you know, we talked about, I was going to ask you about you starting an improv and you jumped right into that. And, uh, you know, you said it helped you communicate with your employees better and helped you express yourself better. Uh, I was just wondering, was there anything specifically about your law career uh, and your, your being in this, in the business that you were in with consumer advocacy that you think helped you uh, become creative? You know, I, on my reflection, I think it's a, actually a profound question. And the answer is I don't think so. I was able to enter a career and start doing things that I could not have imagined. You know, we grew up in El Paso. We, my dad was a traveling salesman. We, um, did you point out, I went to Texas Western. It was, I, Susan graduated from, um, yeah, I, actually, I, my wife graduated from Texas Western. Uh, I graduated a year after her uh, from the University of Texas at El Paso. And we, you know, our future was unclear. We, uh, there were no professionals in our family, uh, in my family, you know, and I was got into law school and we went to Austin. And then I was, you know, I had this fabulous job. I mean, I, it's hard to explain, but, in 1970, we were in the top of this world. There were 13 young lawyers out of law school working for this man by the name of Ralph Nader, 
who was in the headlines, who had just wrote a book called Unsafe at Any Speed, and uh, he, General Motors had tried to discredit him. He sued them. It was all over the headlines. Everybody in the country at that time knew him as the man. In fact, he probably has saved more lives than anybody ever. He, um, um, as a result, his work got us a seatbelt, got us uh, airbags, um, and made consumer safeguards part of how you build a product. So we were on the top of the world. So I felt I had been lucky, and I found my purpose in life. I could not imagine that there that there was something else for me to do. I thought how privileged I was and lucky, and you know, to be a spokesman for for you know consumer choice and telecommunications. And you know, there was one project our company worked on that has is still not over all these years later has resulted in about $50 billion going to public education for technology. And yet all of that, I don't know whether it took creativity. I don't know whether it was inherent in me. Uh, everybody has their own talents and styles. Um, but I don't know that uh, you, you have made me look backwards to wonder whether I was always feeling something was missing. I don't know if that's the case. Um, I always worked hard. I always, and I still think there is more to do, but I, I never imagined that I could be doing this kind of work. And yet, and yet, I think everything that happened to me what happened to enable me to be at this point in life? Well, um, the good, the good and the bad. Well, Sam, for you to to get to this point, to to have this um, really deeply meaningful and heartfelt uh, experience, and and your expression of that uh, through this play, you had to you had to meet somebody very special to you. And, you know, you talked a little bit about going to Texas Western, which I guess transitioned over to UTEP uh, during your time there. Play about how you and Susan met. Uh, for the listeners of the Square Peg podcast, do you want to go over that uh, just over the next couple of minutes? Tell us how you, you and Susan met. You guys had kind of an interesting story. Well, so, you know, I, I'm going to hesitate just briefly, and I will put a verbal footnote for your listeners. This has got a little bit of what some people call woo-woo or magic or whatever, so... Um, Hopefully that doesn't shut people out. But Susan and I were Jewish. We uh, she lived in Houston. I lived in El Paso. We were 16 years old, and we end up going to the same uh, convention with our youth groups in Texarkana, Texas. And we noticed each other. We eyed each other. We waved at each other, but we didn't really get to meet because the conference ended and she went back to Houston. It turns out though she wanted to go to school as far away from home as she could and stay in state. And that meant from Houston all the way across the state to El Paso. And so I met her while two, three years later, 
in college, we know we knew we had met, but we didn't know each other well. We we started dating and we got married. Uh, Susan was twenty, I was twenty one, um, and I do say in the book, and I do believe that we were meant to be. That there are some things. And I do think there are some things in life and in the universe that are brought together by unexplainable forces. And I do think there are those. There's a scene in the play, too, where I, uh, and I wonder sometimes whether these experiences in my life made me open to this later experience where I had been with my mother as she took her last breath. And it was a unique experience. It created my own belief and uh, or changed how I believed about um, life and and uh, the sanctity of life and breath. So, um, you know, we are all products of the sums of our experience, or this, we are the sums of our experiences in life. And I just want to come back down and if there's a theme, is that we have to be open to letting ourselves be filled by what what it will have meaning and importance to us. Uh, I don't know that I could have ever expected this. And it was also the product, and this is for everybody who is listening, it was also, well, two things happened. Um I had the experience with my wife, and it had a happy ending. Um, and I don't know how that affected everything. I don't know what would have happened had it been otherwise. And um, I've thought about that a lot. Uh, all the decisions I look back on and that are in the play, uh, you know, one of the scenes is that I was ho- I was thinking about making Susan go to Mayo Clinic or, you know, MD Anderson in Houston or someplace to be treated. She wanted to stay here and be treated by the local doctor. And I pride myself a little bit by because in the play I said, well, I'm it's not my decision, it's Susan. But what if the outcome had been different? What if I would have been guilty? I don't know if I would have had it in right. me to write about this. But uh, but that reinforces uh, the ability somehow. I and I don't. I wish there was a magic formula to say this is how you do it. Just don't be in charge. Just don't. Um, I. That's why this. I go back to the improv bit. You know the idea of you know it, it helps exercise the muscle. Or do you stand on stage with somebody and you have no idea what's going to happen? Well, you know, your your one your one job is to listen, acknowledge, and add information. Well, Sam, you you talked uh, a few minutes ago about being present for the your mother's death and watching her take her last yeah. breaths in that hospital in 1972. And in the actual dance, you gave actually a very artful account. Uh, of how she passed in, 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 in a very illustrative fashion. The, the relationship one has with his mother uh, is no, no, no more or less uh, loving or strong, but nonetheless different uh, than he has with his wife. But the difference is you didn't hear the band strike up. 
when right. you stood with your mother. Uh, I kind of want to use that to seg to as a segue into um, what the actual dance is and what it means to hear that band strike up. Uh, take us take us through that. So there's so. You know, it is true about your mother, and I have no. <clears throat> I want to talk. About, I'll talk about the moment with my mother first. I didn't hear an orchestra. The line in the play is, "I didn't hear an orchestra playing back then." I just listened as two nurses each t- uh, took a, her a separate, a different wrist from opposite sides of the bed, and she wasn't on machinery. They just counted down until uh, they looked at me and said, "She's gone." But I experienced something, and I had never been, maybe it was because I'd never been with someone who had, as they took the last breath, but I experienced, uh, I call it a tuft of spinning uh, cloud at the speed of light. It exited the room, but it hesitated just for an instant, as if it looked at me and said goodbye. And it was, I believe, the soul or the essence of my mother as she left the room. And it was profound because it also built in me the understanding, the acceptance that there is within each of us a form of the divine, a tangible essence of who we are. And then fast forward now, nearly uh, 27 years later, and there I'm faced with the potential loss of Susan now. The actual dance title is because I experienced this. I've been asked, how did you think up this idea? How did you just make this up? It's not made up. It was what happened. There were times when the news with her got bad and when I, I had to try to imagine holding her. And she took her last breath, and I, just, I couldn't imagine it. It freaked me out. And, um, you know, I, I crossed a boundary, literally. I, you know, we have boundaries. I've learned this recently. I've come to this insight that we have boundaries that we, as human beings, create. They're boundaries of belief. And things can't can't ever be true. And if we can sometimes somehow cross that boundary, and I would find myself standing literally in the middle of a gigantic ballroom, and it would be in a different dimension of time and space, and I would be there, and 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 there. There would be a platform off to the side. There would be darkened walls. And that platform would be where the orchestra, you could sort of see bright, you know, open doors into bright lights where where there was an exit from the ballroom. And I was there waiting. I was there waiting for the orchestra and then waiting for Susan to stand with me. And then I would come back. Then it would be like, boom, in the same instant. I would be back within to the real world. I would be sitting in a uh, doctor's office or I'd be in the hospital room with Susan right after surgery. But then something else would happen and 
you know, when the news was good and I went to the ballroom, it would just be sitting empty. I would be there, it's waiting, but nothing's happening. Maybe the orchestra that was going to play is off. Maybe I'll be leaving. Maybe things will be okay. But then when the news gets really bad, when I exited, when I was back in that place, and there was this one time when everybody got really dark and I knew what everybody was thinking. Uh, when I say everybody, I mean the doctors. Um, it was like the orchestra was in the room. They were warming up their instruments. I was standing there, and I could see in the ballroom, and I believe this, by the way, that in that ecstatic moment when she would take her last breath, we would be surrounded in love by everyone we had ever met and ever known. Everybody who, who had ever been in our family are generations before us, and I say maybe, just maybe in that ballroom, of all those people gathered with love as we went through that moment would be generations yet to come. And that we would dance to the song that we loved and that at some point, in a wistful light, she would exit this world. Um, and and I've, I come to believe that it's a moment of grace. It is a privilege that if, if, we, get that, if we get that opportunity, that it is a privilege for us and the person. What better gift could you give someone you love if you could be there and held them and reaffirm to them infinite love as they went through their presumably, well, at their last their last breath. Um, I I and that's if anything my message there here is. That there is that potential now. I don't know if you got the question. Have I been? Has there been criticism of this play? And there has. And that criticism has been, um, and it was the first after the first performance. There was a critic in the in the audience, and he says, "You say this is a moment of beauty and dignity." What about the man who, the, the shop owner is shot in the neck by a robber and dies on the street gurgling blood on his neck? Where's the beauty and dignity in that? And you know, it's a fair, it's a fair point in a sense that I, it is, and I reflect when I use the word, it's a privilege to be able to have that moment. I know many people who wish they could have been there and, couldn't and it is a similar but different journey, but at the end it's the same. Um, the actual dance at the end is the ritual of coming to terms with the loss of someone you love, and the privilege of being there and holding them as it goes through. But that's not the end of the dance. And I've had somebody in in an audience tearfully tell me. Then you have to understand the dance doesn't end when someone dies. I, and this person said, my husband died nine months ago, and I'm still dancing. And she understood. It's the ritual of how do we figure out how to move on? How do we who, are pro, who remain and have been through, how do we continue with our, our lives? And I've struggled with that. And I do have, you know, I'll stop here for a second, but I do have 
an answer that's been given to me by a, a wise person that I'll I'll share in a moment. But I don't know if that answers your question or I keep talking too much. No, I've attempted to cut in. And, you know, to the critic who talked about the man who's, you know, shot in the neck and bleeds to death in the street, I don't think that's what you're, it's not what the actual dance is about. It's not about all deaths. Uh, it's about that, that very moment uh, and very special experience you have. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm about to, to throw out here a couple of couple of things that were mentioned uh, in your play that I think illustrate that pretty well and probably couldn't have been done from whom you sought, you know, help. Uh, told you that your your dance with Susan, uh, as, as you anticipated, through all the ups and downs, really, and back and forth of, of the diagnoses uh, over that period of time, and uh, described as that experience as the ultimate consummation uh, of your love. Oh, yeah. And, and you also described uh, your sacred obligation uh, to take Susan on that journey. Um, I just, I can't think of two, honestly, more poetic ways uh, and meaningful ways of describing what all of this means. Uh, and, and I think, to me, that, that shows the difference between, you know, what it is you're describing in the actual dance and what that one critic at that first uh, showing or first uh, performance of your play uh, tried to compare to somebody dying tragically and alone. I just, I fail, I mean, I understand the criticism, but I, I really fail to see how the two are really connected. Um, and there was... Well, but- let, let me say though, no, because I, it, I'm thankful for the criticism because it made me have to understand. Because the journey is the same, we have to come to terms with it either way. You know, imagine the phone call of, to a parent that there's been a shooting at their child's school. Imagine the wife who opens the door and sees the chaplain. Army chaplain, you know, the military wife, seeing the army chaplain standing in the door and knows immediately. They, they too have a ritual. They too, we all need to consummate that love. We all need to come to terms with it. And so I, I don't want to discount that. That's why I say that it is a privilege. And I, accept, I, I don't think it's right to say I shouldn't have done this play. That's, that's a different point. Uh, and I've had a couple other people who, who have been through the other experience, uh, say, but what about the times when, and I can always tell when they had, had a different experience. And so let me mention the, the wisdom I got, you know, cause I think we, I, we all have known people who have lost other ones, others. As well, and I had a very close friend who lost a child who was on the school trip. And it can take time. And I'm not saying that in that ecstatic moment with Susan that, first of all, I've been told, by the way, by the chief psychiatrist, oncology psychiatrist, it's Sloan Kettering, that I, Sam Simon, because my wife lived, cannot know what it would have been like had she not. And I have that humility. I do have that humility. I, I am a one lucky man. And, uh, and the time will come for all of us. And I think the wisdom is it will be a journey to find, you know, I, I will not, and I do want to say this, I do not like the word healed. I, uh, I'm allergic to it, if you will. Okay. Um, the idea that you'll get over it. You never get over it. 
you come to terms with it. And um, a rabbi, uh, if I might, a rabbi suggested the following analogy that, you know, there's a biblical story of Jacob who's about to go see Esau and he's afraid and he sleeps and he has a dream and he wrestles, it says, with somebody, something, an angel, with God, with himself. He said, well, you know, I may simply be wrestling with this existential meaning of life and you lose somebody and you wrestle, you have this time you wrestle with what does it mean and how do I go on? And Jacob woke up and he won because he, when it says he won, he, he succeeded, but he woke up with, an, and if you think about it, a new mission in life, he's now different, even has a different name, but he walks with the limp and he never forgets. And so I believe that no matter what the situation is, that on the other side and at some point in our life, we will, we will win that battle, that existential wrestle with meaning after devastating loss. We'll see ourselves differently in the world, hopefully to be able to, to represent both ourselves and those we lost. And maybe even have a new, see ourselves differently, a new name, but we'll never forget. We'll ever always have that scar that possible. We'll be able to take those steps, meaningful steps, into the world. So I, I want that. I, I feel strongly about that idea, as I do about how privileged it is when we have that and the importance. You know, I, I'll say one last thing. I know I'm talking a lot, but. I often get the feedback of somebody in the audience once said, oh, my God, my husband got sick, and I ran to get his will. I didn't go with him to the, you know, I did it all wrong. And, you know, there is no right or wrong way to do this. I offer, I hope, an expression and an experience that can strike, help. I, we've had people in the audience tell, tell us, we talk afterwards, that it helps them to reevaluate their own journey and know that uh, that there, you know, at the end, it's about love, and 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 however you do it, it's the right way. It's really how you wrestle afterwards. It's that big wrestling <laughs> match that it puts you into the middle of. But you can come out, and you can honor that other name and honor your life and make it as, as productive and as wonderful as possible. Well, not too long ago, uh, the actual dance was actually adapted. Uh, I don't know if adapted is the correct word. It's being performed by somebody else. Um, yes. Is it received differently? What's been your experience? Well, I love it. Remember, you started this conversation as, I was just this lawyer guy, right? Right. Uh, I actually have a professional actor doing this show. <laughs> uh, I do it pretty well myself, i got to say. I mean, no, I mean I've, I've become comfortable now saying that. It took me quite a while. But Chuck Abasi is a New York professional actor. We got to know each other in a different uh, 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 situation, and he had lost someone, and he wanted to do it. I wanted him to do it. But he's younger than I am, African-American, and so we adapted it to be um, 
more fit his own life situation. He wasn't Jewish. I am. So in, in my version, I'm Jewish. I, uh, there's some Jewish content to it. Uh, and I meet with the rabbi and the like. In his, he's uh, a Christian, and he meets with the minister, and he's aged down a little bit. Um, because this show, we've, we believe, I believe, is so intimate and so challenging that for those who watch and get to see it, it is helpful to be able to relate to the actor, to the person on stage, and their own life. And so, uh, though Chuck is, does things differently, does things different than I do, I've learned from him my, myself. Um, I think people, African Americans who get to watch the show will, will relate better to him than to me. Not that they can't find me. I've had mixed, we both have had mixed audiences. And breaking news, breaking news is going to be a third actor. A man by the name of Sam Weber, who's in San Francisco, and he's a professional tap dancer, and they're going to actually bring in different music, uh, and so we're going to be be hopefully launching that in the fall. Well, I, that's something I didn't know, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, maybe you, whoever's listening to this, you heard it first on the Square Peg podcast. <laughs> You know, Absolutely. Um, you know, um, you know. Mentioned before, Sam, you and I are related. I grew up with you and your children uh, the first first twenty four years of my life uh, before I moved out west. And um, you know, when all this was happening with Susan uh, getting her diagnosis and going through all the treatment, uh, I had already I had just moved out here to New Mexico and um, watching this play uh, and hearing you describe everything. Uh, gave me some insight into something that I only knew bits and pieces about from very from very far away uh, through my parents and 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 it's interesting you just getting to to learn such an important part of uh, uh, an experience uh, an important experience uh, in the lives of people that you love uh, and that you're related to um, in a way that you didn't get to and you know uh, I did kind of it kind of came to the conclusion you know I there are countless. I know you and Susan have always enjoyed dancing together. I've seen you at countless bar mitzvahs and weddings and anything else where there was a formal or semi-formal function with a band or a DJ playing afterwards. Before her diagnosis, till after, and it's that you guys now are actual ballroom dancers. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that, in some way, shape, or form, you're you're seeking out ballroom dancing and and, and uh, it was some sort of result of the experiences you had that 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 brought you to write and perform the actual dance? You know, I have no idea. Um, and again, I'm hearing it from your point of view. Um, we started doing, uh, and I think a lot of the dancing you said, notice is our daughter, Rachel, um, was married in 2000, so she was married after uh, this. Um and uh, after the situation, and uh, we, we Susan and I, did Arthur Murray lessons to get ready for her wedding, and we so enjoyed it that uh, uh, we continued doing that. Uh, so we're very amateur, and we, we, we have not, actually since the play and uh there was a period of time we haven't been doing that in the last number of years. I don't know the interrelationship between the two. Uh, if any, I didn't make it as 
I began engaging in in this. It didn't occur to me that they were related. Doesn't mean that they're not. I just laying out on the line that I didn't see that. Uh, and I uh, uh, here's here's the rationale for it actually. So I started doing the theater in New York. I started. Um, I was working half time in New York after I sold my company, and Susan liked the ballroom dancing. So I said, "All right, I'll do my theater, and she'll do her ballroom dancing." That was how we were. That was like a a marital negotiation. <laughs> uh, but you're right to observe it. You know that that maybe there's something there that I have yet to discover, which is really not, you know, if anything, maybe this is things that people, if they hear this, and I've said the variation of this, be open to amazing things in our lives. And a little, it's a little bit about giving up control and not thinking we know what's out there because there is something beautiful and maybe it's a square uh, or maybe it's a round hole. Who knows? But by, by you know, this is why I love your idea. This fabulous podcast. The idea of uh, discovering new things in life. Um, th- there, there are other things in my life that I think help me do this. Um, and I don't know what your time like, but I have a. There was a close friend I have who I, I, when the book version of the show comes out, (laughs) I uh, attribute much of my discovery to was a woman who talked about um, how her Parkinson's changed who she was and how she discovered uh, what her real passions were in life. And I think it just speaks to all of us that, you know, the theory is, periodically, if we can look over our shoulders, look back at all the things that we always come back to, that there's a line back there that we have naturally, maybe not consciously, kept to, moved to. And if you can do that and sort of then try to look forward, where is it taking us? It might help us discover and be open to that different place in life that we had not known, not been aware of, but now let ourselves, allow ourselves to go there. Um, and that's been my experience. I've been fortunate. Uh, uh, you know, it sounds odd, right? Uh, and I've had to cope with this. I'm not, ha- I never would want Susan to have to have gone through what she went through. It was bad. It is bad. It's and she is an unlikely survivor. So we, I, you know, the play ends, right? The play ends that I keep listening. Is it back? Will it be back? Um, and, uh, but, uh, it's been a gift to me that I've been able to do what I'm doing now. Well, and um, uh, having you on the podcast here, Sam, has been a gift to me, and I hope it's going to be a gift to the people who listen to us, how they can see the, the, the actual dance or, or any of its other adapt- adaptations. It was www.theactualdance.com. It's our website. We have previews on there. We continue to perform it. We offer it uh, virtually uh, now. We can, and there's also videos. 
Uh, I've been doing them for the Gilda's Clubs all over the country, and there's one coming up in June uh, that will be open to the public. Uh, and better yet, if there is a group or a club or an organization that people are part of and would like to have something like this as a program, we have a mission, and our mission is that everyone who needs to see this show has an opportunity to do so, and we'll make it happen. So if you have a cancer survivor group, if you have a church, a synagogue, um, women's auxiliary, a men's club, and you want to have a program around uh, this kind of topic, I'll be glad to do that. make sure it happens. Well, Sam Simon, thank you for being my guest. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope you uh, have enjoyed this uh, 45 minutes or so as much as I have. Uh, I'm pretty sure you will. Uh, our guest has been Sam Simon. Sam, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for coming on the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week on the very next episode of the Square Peck Podcast. That's all for this week. We'll see you later. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.